Today's episode is going to be pretty different from the regular content uploaded here. This is a special podcast episode, so I won't have a guest with me today, and although there are some improvised sections, this is a primarily scripted video, so keep that in mind when comparing it to less or no scripted content. This is a pilot of sorts for the new format that I am experimenting with, so if it goes well, be on the lookout for future videos similar to this one. With that out of the way, today I want to discuss something that is very relevant to any ideology. That is, what is the government and what's its role in society? The questions I intend to answer with my own opinions are as followed. What is a government? What is the government able to do and not do? And why do we have and need governments? First, let's talk about what exactly is a government. A simple Google search will yield you a plethora of results and definitions, but for the sake of this video, I will be using one specific definition. That is, the entity which governs a society and the participating sub-entities within the original entity. A bit of jargon, yes, but essentially I am defining the government as the pieces that make up the whole of the governing body. I use this definition as to encompass as many ideologies as possible under one tent. Even ideologies like anarchy, which are commonly associated as the antithesis of governments, still have a governing body, as does any society. What I am suggesting here is that even a society with no written rules and no enforcement of anything still has a government, albeit a very weak one. You see, I was very particular in my word choice of entity, as I do not believe any actual source of power is needed for a government to exist. Once we enter into the social contract, the government exists naturally as a byproduct. In this scenario, the government is reason alone. You see, the government, in my opinion, is established to maintain the existence of the social contract. And in this scenario I have presented, although the government seems absent, I would suggest that people will remain in the social contract as long as it is reasonable to do so. However, as with all good things, deviants soon enter the fray. People who are willing to manipulate the social contract for their own betterment, at the detriment of others, and thus, in my opinion, as long as deviants exist, or at least the fear of deviants exist, a social contract held together only by reason will fall apart. And we can work through this sequentially by putting ourselves in the shoes of a hunter who has just entered into a primitive social contract. This man has agreed to hunt with another man for their mutual benefit. However, after catching the food, the hunter is faced with a dilemma. You see, should he let his guard down and his partner steal his food, then he would certainly starve. He reasons that the only way to ensure with absolute certainty that he will be able to eat is to steal the food first. Unfortunately, his partners reason the same thing, and thus, although neither needs to steal the other's food to survive, they will be driven to do so. A better and more fleshed-out analogy of a social contract without any governing body is that of the prisoner's dilemma. There are plenty of far better explanations of this interesting philosophical quandary out there that I would highly recommend you check out, but I will do my best to explain the problem. Imagine for me, if you will, that you and your partner in crime have just been arrested. However, the police do not have enough evidence on either of you. You are offered a plea. If you implicate your partner, then you will go scot-free and they will serve three years in prison, and vice versa. If you don't confess, and neither do they, then you and your partner will both serve one year in prison. However, the police also let you know that if you rat out each other, you will both serve two years. At first, the solution might seem easy. 
You stay silent, they stay silent, and you both only have to serve one year. It's the best outcome for both of you. However, a thought slowly creeps into your mind. If your partner reasons the same thing and decides to cooperate, then you could rat them out and go scot-free, which would be best for you. Quickly, you push that away, because you are not selfish, you want to help your partner out. But can the same be said about them? What if they reason the same way and decide that they would rather not serve that one year in jail? Well, then you would end up serving three years in jail. You realize that if you choose to cooperate with your partner, then you either serve one or three years in jail. However, if you were to deviate, you would serve either zero or two years in jail. Overall, the best option would be for you both to cooperate, as this is the smallest collective sentence. However, individually, you are better off defecting, as either way you get a better sentence. That is to say, if your partner cooperates, you get zero years in jail compared to the one year you would have gotten otherwise. If you deviate and they deviate, you serve two years compared to the three years you would have had to serve if you had cooperated. Additionally, if your partner thinks you'll cooperate, then they could easily give you three years and get off with zero. So in order to save yourself, you deviate from the social contract and rat on your partner, not because you wish them harm or because you don't want to cooperate with them, but because the risks that you assume by maintaining a social contact is too great and too easily manipulated. And unfortunately, your partner reasons the same, landing you both with two years in jail. Whereas had you both cooperated, you would only have to serve one year. It's quite the dilemma, as the name suggests. And it is why I think the social contract needs a stronger backing than reason. You see, if the prisoners had some assurance that their partner wouldn't deviate, they would be far more inclined to cooperate. This is why I believe a strong government is necessary in any society, an entity in which people can place trust and will uphold said trust and thus back the social contract. I firmly believe that in a society without a strong government is doomed to fail, as you will have many a defector who will break the social contract for short-term gain. And thus you need a stronger force who will prevent this from happening. Otherwise, people will begin to deviate, not necessarily because they want to, but because they reason that if they don't, they will be taken advantage of. I believe I have given an adequate definition of what the government is, although I'm sure you will be seeing more of me discussing this topic as it is close to my heart. Moving on, let's talk about what the government can and cannot do. To clarify, I have given a pretty solid definition, in my opinion, of what a government is, that being essentially the entity which governs the collective of social contracts in a society. But not all social contracts are the same, and when they are not written out into law, it can be a little vague. So first, let's talk about what social contracts are. I define a social contract as an arrangement between individuals to undertake certain actions that benefit the collective. It is also implied that these actions may come at a cost to the individual, like paying taxes, but overall benefit the collective, which in turn benefits the individual. Think, for example, roads. Building individual roads would be foolish, so the individual pays into the pot so that the government could do this for them. Furthermore, as previously stated, I see a society as the collective that abides to the social contract. Sorry for all these definitions, but I want to make things clear. So to recap, a social contract is an agreement between individuals to undertake certain actions that benefit the collective. The collective is the society, and the society is governed by an entity which we define as the government. With all that out of the way, we can continue. So let's start with what the government can do. I would argue that this is established by the society. What contracts they choose to enforce 
and how they choose to enforce them is what makes up the government. But on the flip side, I think it's important to realize that although you may not like what the collective has decided, unless you think it breaks the social contract, you still cannot leave the society or rise up against it. As an example, I think there's a strong argument that the enslavement of another human being breaks the social contract, as through sequential thinking we can reason that we wouldn't want to be enslaved, so we shouldn't enslave others. So even if the government and the people allow it, you can still fight against it. This is a little convoluted, so let me clarify. Once you have entered into a society, I believe you cannot exit the society unless certain criteria are met, which I will explain shortly. Even if you are unpleased with the decisions made by the government or the collective, you should still remain in the society. If you feel you have exhausted all possible means of change and you feel the injustice warrants such a response, you may remove the government from power and restructure the social contract. But you should still never opt out of the society, as this, along with removing the government, is a very slippery slope. It can be noted that governments tend to adapt to the society in which they are placed. Take Russia, for example, which had an authoritarian feudal dictatorship and then had an authoritarian communist dictatorship and now has quite a lot of trouble maintaining a democracy because the society is used to authoritarian leadership and resists it less. I would suggest that the same is true for removing a government. If the people are up in arms with your opposition, be careful, because they may soon be up in arms with you. Without going down the rabbit hole, I would also suggest this is why the idea of a temporary dictator put in place to make the country a democracy will never work, because it sets a bad precedent. To get back to my previous point, I think the criteria that need to be met to opt out of a society or a social contract are as follows. To give all gains made from said society back, to opt out of any future benefits from said society, and to recognize that you, are no, that you no longer have the protection of the government. In exchange, you will get a semblance of freedom. However, it's not true freedom, as you would find in the state of nature. That being in a state with no social contracts have been formed, as society still exists. Try and steal from someone in the society, and they will enforce their rules on you. I have made the criteria so rough, because as a strong supporter of the government and society, I feel those who want to opt out of society are in fact deviants, who wish to avoid the costs of a society, whilst also reaping the benefits. For example, many of the right-wing libertarians aren't advocating for increased personal freedoms and protections, along with the more societal-based governments. Rather, they are advocating for less government protection, so that they can take advantage of the social contract and act as deviants. This will most certainly be be addressed in a future video, but I wish to remain on the topic. I feel I have provided what a government can do. Well, what can't they do? First, although this is somewhat controversial in America, I think it must be made clear that the government can never execute its own citizens. This is an, this is an entirely separate discussion, but essentially, citizens enter the contract for protection, and those who commit horrible crimes, the government can secure them and protect the rest of society from them by incarceration. To murder them would be barbaric and promotes fear that the government cannot protect all its citizens, especially since the government is not impervious to to error and there exist people who have been put to death who were later found to be innocent which is evidence enough to me for which is evidence enough for me to say that the death penalty violates the social contract 
Furthermore, I don't think that the government can further its own power at the detriment of its citizens. This will be something most likely brought up when answering the next question, but the government cannot attempt to abuse its power. This is why I am such a fan of democracy, as although it has its problems, it allows for the consistent approval or disapproval of the citizens, and allows for an easy transition of governments to take place. Now before we move on, why do we have and need governments? I wish to say that if it seems I didn't put much limitation on the government, this was due to a lack of specificality. The government abusing its power is quite broad, and that is done intentionally, as what powers are given to the government differ between societies. I believe I have explained well enough what the government is, and what it is able to do, but what exactly do we need governments? To answer this, I'd like to draw back to the prisoner's dilemma, which we discussed previously. In the scenario presented, the main problem faced by the prisoners is twofold. First, a lack of communication or interaction between the two, and building off that, a lack of consequences for deviation and a lack of authority to dictate actions. This is to say, both prisoners know that there is no entity which will ensure their partner complies with the social contract, and they reason that there would be great cost to them if their partner were to break the social contract. Thus, a normally compliant person is motivated to deviate to ensure that they don't have to rely on their partner, leading to the collapse of the society and both prisoners left worse than they would have been had they both cooperated. This is why I believe the government is required to act as a body in which people can still trust into. If I can assure my partner that I won't break the contract, and they can assure me the same, and I believe this to be true, I will be far more motivated to uphold the social contract, especially since my interactions in this society will most likely continue. I would suggest that a governing body is required to uphold a society, as people need a force to participate in the society, not because they themselves would break the social contract if not prompted to, but to quench their fear that others might break the social contract. As long as this fear is minimal, most people should continue to comply with the social contract, leaving only a smaller group of people who will deviate from said contract and manipulate it to their advantage. These people are the enemy of any structured society. This is why I take issue with the sentiment that as long as it's legal, it's okay. It's true that the government cannot pursue action against someone for doing something that is legal. But if something is seen as manipulative and harmful to the general populace, the government should remove it from society. An example I would give is the financial sector, which I believe should be more regulated than it is now. Many of those who make their money do so through shady means, be that the stock market where vultures find companies and manipulate their stock, or in the renting market where companies serve the bottom line to the extent that they seek to evict tenants who complain and simply replace them. These are all actions that are driven by the profit motive, which as we talked about in our first podcast episode, causes companies to disregard the consumer's best interest when it benefits them the most. People say that companies have no obligation to help the consumers or workers unless they benefit. I simply do not see it this way. These companies participate and benefit in our society, and thus they have an obligation to better said society. Anyone who participates in shady or illegal activity and is not doing so out of desperation, but rather premeditated intent, something we will come back to shortly, is harming the social contract and society by causing people to lose faith in their government to protect them, thus motivating them to opt out of the social contract. 
I also mention those who act out of desperation. Now, I do not blame these people for their harm that they do to our society, as they act out of simple need and do so because said society has refused to help them. There will always be a bottom of the barrel, so to say, in any society, as a society of complete equality is improbable to the extent of impossibility. However, it is the job of those with any semblance of power, be it those more fortunate in society or more practically the government, to provide for those who are worse off. And when the government and those in power refuse to do so, those who are left behind by society will act out. For the greedy man who essentially gambles on someone's life, as we saw in the 2007 market crash, is not the same as the needy man who steals some bread so that he may eat. This is why we see such an uptick of crime when it comes to poorer neighborhoods, because people have lost faith in their society and their government to provide for them and thus opt out of the social contract as it no longer benefits them. Those who receive government welfare have often been portrayed by society as lazy welfare queens, as was popularized by many conservatives. However, we should all be very wary of allowing those in power to justify the abandonment of those who cannot provide for themselves, as it is them on which our society is built. It is their decision to continue to participate in a system in which they have been given the short straw that allows for our society to function, and thus, those who have benefited from society owe them, and I firmly believe that it is the duty of the government to take care of said people. Thus, in conclusion, the government is needed as an entity to uphold the social contract and to protect and lead the society, and without it, those who manipulate the social contract will gain power and the society will fall apart, as those who would normally participate in society will begin to opt out as it has become merely a siphon for those who deviate rather than a structure under which we can all live. This has been the Union of Central Podcast. Andrew Gould, signing off.